I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. How on earth do we make sense of this election? Stephanie Flanders gives her views on how investors can cope with rising uncertainty. Using profit warnings to target growth. It sounds counterintuitive, but some fund managers are betting on corporate bounce backs and why you may no longer be rich enough to hold a multi-currency bank account. Welcome to The Money Show, the FT's weekly podcast on personal finance and investing. I'm Claire Barrett, FT Money Editor, and I'll be giving you this week's money news in downloadable form. Last week's election result was not what financial markets or the Conservative Party were expecting. The lack of a majority at a time when the party has less than two years to negotiate Brexit is a worry for investors. And joining me in the FT studio to try and make sense of it all is Stephanie Flanders, JP Morgan's Chief Market Strategist for Britain and Europe. Welcome, Stephanie. Good to be here. Well, it's a horrific opening question, but (laughs) how do you expect this political drama to play out? Well... It's been interesting because, of course, we didn't see that surprising result on Friday morning translate into an enormous amount of uncertainty and volatility in markets. Of course, the pound was down a bit, but I think it still ended the week a little bit higher than it was at the start of the election campaign. Um, Now, you could say that suggests that everything is calm and investors are still thinking that the UK is on a strong course. I'm afraid I think it's the opposite, that we were already pricing in a lot of uncertainty around Brexit. We were already pricing in a significant weakening in the economy as a result of higher inflation and slowing of consumption. And those fundamentals, if you like, haven't really changed. They're just not very good fundamentals to begin with. And what do politicians mean when they talk about a hard Brexit and a soft Brexit? Well, it's interesting, of course, the day after the referendum, you could have said there were lots of different visions of Brexit. And that was one of the things that struggled to get a voice in the referendum campaign. The idea that there wasn't just one option for leaving the EU. Actually, there were lots of different models, which had a lot of different implications, particularly for the economy. And what was perhaps shocking, or at least surprising to many about Theresa May's result, the way she had acted over the last year or so is that she'd sort of assumed she had a mandate for a particular kind of Brexit, which we call a hard Brexit. That's, others would say, a clean break. So you're not trying to find a a middle way between where we are now and being completely isolated from the EU. You're, You're not trying to stay in the single market, for example, and accept all of the constraints that that involves, or even stay in the customs union and accept that common tariff and admit that you're not going to be able to do new trade deals with other countries. You know, the hard Brexit was the idea that, you know, that middle ground was for the birds, that you're sort of getting 
the disadvantages <laughs> and none of the advantages of uh, leaving the EU. But increasingly, we're talking more now about uh, softer, more of a middle way uh, approach to, to Brexit. And that does seem to now command a bit more support in this rather changed House of Commons. But I would argue, you know, there are some issues with that. I mean, we may we may yet discover that the Europeans are not very happy to give us our cake and let us eat it too. You know, allow us this useful, nice middle way. It could be that the the hard Brexiters were right that if you're really going to leave, you should leave all the way because this middle ground is not really viable. Now. Talking about the timetable, as the dust settles, it looks like Theresa May will hang on to her job as Prime Minister, but can her party hang on to any hope of keeping to this two-year ticking clock? I mean, I think, you know, one of the benefits of calling this election, I think, and one of the reasons perhaps why investors had pushed up the pound a bit when it was called, was the idea that you would no longer have a 2020 election really forcing the pace of not just the negotiations, but also any adjustment process once you've left. The idea that we now have a bit more space for that, at least in theory, if this government lasts, I think was encouraging for investors. But of course, now you've got continued uncertainty about whether the government can survive. And the strong possibility, I think, even if this government survives for a couple of years, which seems quite likely now, that you will have the next election still in effect on the terms of the deal from the European Union. So there's no escape from uncertainty for investors and no escape for poor listeners and readers from all this endless conversation about Brexit. Well, thanks very much there to Stephanie Flanders. Check out FT Money this weekend to read our main feature, Six Steps to Survive Uncertainty, your post-election financial health check, written by our team of writers on sale as part of the main weekend FT newspaper on a Saturday, or read us online from Friday on ft.com slash money. Nearly 10 years on from the financial crisis, will it be a happy or unhappy anniversary for investors? Micah Curry, our income columnist and investment director at Fidelity International, has reflected on this milestone in her FT Money column this week and the lengths that some fund managers are prepared to go to in order to target growth. Welcome, Micah. Thanks, Claire. So in this week's column, you point out that while everything's changed since the financial crisis, in some ways, nothing has changed. Yes, it's very interesting, and it all goes back to this massive monetary easing we've seen. Quantitative easing was seen as emergency surgery for a very sick patient, and that sick patient being the global economy. Ten years on, and the patient is still on the medication, and even though there's a lot of talk of a move to normality, we still see massive monetary easing going on. And the problem with this is that it has distorted the economic cycle, and it has synchronized economies around the world, which leaves the financial system extremely vulnerable to things like a failed Greek bailout or a botched Brexit, as we were talking about earlier. Other things that happened since the financial crisis was the fact that companies simply weren't allowed to go bust. So these bailouts that we saw of the banks have also contributed to a distorted economic picture. And then we know the the well-recited argument that interest rates are at record low levels, and that has led to a misallocation of capital. One thing we've seen is an explosion of merger and acquisition activity. Mm. It's never been so cheap to do deals, but some, while some might argue, well, that's a positive sign, others say those funds could have been channeled into business investment or raised productivity. But most concerning is the fact that global debt is sky high. Now, whether that's company debt, whether it's government debt, 
debt or personal debt, whether we're talking developed markets or developing markets. And the problem with debt, as we know, that's money borrowed from the future. It pushes up property and share prices, but eventually it needs to be paid back. You could almost call it fake wealth. Well, <laughs> I was going to say, that's all very depressing. But what can investors who are listening do other than find a bunker? Well, somewhat perversely, the worst thing you can do is find a bunker and stash your money in cash. Because as we know, cash has changed from the safe haven asset to a sinking ship. Record low interest rates mean that what cost £100 in January 2009 now costs £119 in real terms. But if you put £100 in the bank back then, you'll only have £104 on average. So it's really about looking towards the stock market and looking towards the risk of upping risk. Even though investors will be nervous about that because we know with risk comes that potential for loss. But with a lot of investors searching for yield, that's pushing up demand for those assets and that should continue to support them. Well, one risky strategy that a fund manager you've mentioned in your column is taking is by targeting companies that are actually doing badly. Explain that. Yes, it's very interesting. I spoke to a manager called Alistair Gunn who runs the Jupiter Distribution Fund range and what he said is it's less about, it's more about doing less badly if things go really wrong. And if you look at profit warnings, the whole thing is around market expectations. Market expectations for companies are very high and if a company does disappoint, the stocks fall massively when we have something like a profit warning. Now after two or three profit warnings, a company will suffer massive derating and expectations will plummet. Now all you've got to do is you've got to find a company that has a sensible looking balance sheet, that has a good dividend, that looks sustainable and just delivering. If that company, when it reports again, if it just delivers in line with expectations, that is the process of building the share price again. And then behind taking on more risk, there's that age-old argument of diversification. Now more so than ever because assets are quite expensive across the board. And for UK investors specifically, as we saw with the inconclusive election result, the UK market really is a tale mm. of two markets. We've got the FTSE 100 that benefits from a weaker pound and then the more domestically focused 250, which struggles. So a mixture of assets within the UK market too will be sensible. Well, thanks very much there to Fidelity's Micah Curry. You can read her column in the FT Weekend newspaper or online now at ft.com slash money. Finally, are you rich enough to be listening to this podcast? FT Money broke the news this week that some holders of multi-currency bank accounts with City have been told their accounts will be closed unless they are flush enough to join the group's wealth management service. Lucy Warwick-Ching, FT Money's digital editor, has the full story and joins me now. Welcome, Lucy. Hello. So, we got this story from a reader who received a letter from City. Tell me about the accounts that that are affected. So, yes, one of our readers came to us because he actually found the, the account very useful, particularly at a time when Sterling's under so much pressure. This account was called the Foreign Currency Deposit Account that were offered to customers fee-free with a minimum holding of uh, £2,000 in the account. And what he was able to do was actually have that account, no foreign exchange costs when receiving money in the same currencies into the account, free ATM cash withdrawals in the local currency from the city 
ATMs and he was finding it you know very useful he was paid in different currencies for different bits of work and so this account was very useful to him and city said no <laughs> you can't you can't continue to have this unless you're a member of our of our wealth management plan Yes, that's it. They've written to a number of customers. They didn't say how many, but they've written to a number of customers saying that they're no longer able to offer these accounts to people who aren't uh, members of their City Gold Wealth Management Service. And this service, I mean, it's not a matter of just signing up to this service. You need to have a minimum investment threshold of £150,000, so not mm. small fry. But they gave one of the reasons why they were closing these accounts is that they said that they were unable to or that they had a duty to ensure that their products and services were meeting the needs of their clients. But it is basically part of this growing trend of wealth managers trying to up the wealthiness of, of their customers. Because, of course, the it's those very wealthy customers who do have £150,000 or more who are probably going to be the most profitable, whereas um, people like our readers who've been using the accounts to use dollar, euro and sterling transactions and get around the exchange rate. Nice perk um, to have, but now you've got to be quite well off to, to get it. Yes, exactly. As wealth managers' um, profit margins have been squeezed, they are looking for ways to increase those. So unfortunately, it's the uh, less wealthy people that are being shown the door from these wealth management services. And there's also a lot of more regulation on these wealth managers. They've been uh, stricter requirements for these companies to prove that the products are really fit for what they recommend the, the client's requirements are. So there's overall pressures on the on the wealth managers. And unfortunately, the uh, less wealthy, they're, they're feeling the, um, the pressure. Well, thanks very much there to Lucy Warwick-Ching. The full story on ft.com slash money give you some suggestions of other accounts that you can use to harbour foreign currencies and change money more cheaply. With this weekend's FT Money, we also have a full report into the affairs of the private client wealth management industry, which you can pick up with your copy this weekend. If you've got a story you'd like us to follow up or a question to pose to our team of financial experts, get in touch. Our email address is money at ft.com, tweet us at ftmoney or comment on our articles online at ft.com slash money. We will be back next Thursday at the usual time. Goodbye. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.